Um, so by way of just uh, orienting you, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation. So it's slightly a different version. Um, and I'm going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and I'm going to capture the last verse of 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to bring some context to what this is saying. So read again, I'll read this out. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 17 and then go into chapter 3. You see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Are we beginning to praise ourselves again? Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation or who ask you to write such letters on their behalf? Surely not. The only letter of recommendation we need is you yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts. Everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Clearly, you are a letter from Christ showing the results of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tablets of stone, but on human hearts. We are confident of all this because of our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything of our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenants, they end in death. But under the new covenant, the spirit gives life. Maybe just open in a word of prayer one more time. Our blessed loving God and Father, we thank you so much that we have an opportunity to open your living word. We thank you so much that we have the opportunity to listen to Paul as he uh, expresses a, a spiritual truth and as he addresses individuals in a church. We thank you so much for the introduction of your spirit. We thank you so much for your son, the Lord Jesus. And we thank you. It's because of Christ that we're here today. It's because of the power of Christ that these words have any meaning. And we thank you for it. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would guide and direct me this morning. I pray that you would help me to make my thoughts clear. And I ask you, Father, that you would open hearts and minds in the audience tonight, today, and that the, you would use your word in a powerful way. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to, again, I may be challenged for time a little bit, but forgive me, but I'm, I'm planning on doing three sections. The, I want to talk about the challenge to Paul's authority and qualifications. The reason I want to talk about it is because the background's important. I'm not doing that, right, Tom? Oh, it's just my back screen. I apologize. Um, the reason I want to do that is because uh, I think it's relevant to the context of, because I always wonder, well, why did Paul write this? If you take it in isolation, why did Paul write these words and what motivated him to do it? So I want to look into that because I think it's relevant. Um, I want to talk about a missing commendation letter and you'll get the context of that where Paul's being asked, in effect, he's being asked, well, where's your commendation letter? How do we know who you are? And it's asked by a specific group of people. And then I want to talk about Paul's qualifications. Paul's qualifications. Now, that might sound odd. Well, you know, Paul's the apostle. He's written all these letters. He's well known. Well, in this particular case, his qualifications are being challenged. So it's, it's interesting to look into them and understand them. So where do we start? We'll start with the challenge to Paul's authority. 
As we, if we were to look in 1 Corinthians, uh, you know, that first letter to the Corinthians, we're going to see lots of problems. And in fact, in 2 Corinthians, we still see lots of problems. But in particular, Paul identified the fact that there was division, that some people were of Paul, some people were of Paulus, some people were of Peter, some people were of Christ. So the, clearly the, the church wasn't unified. The other thing that was, he notes is sexual immorality inside the church. There were big problems. And then there was also spiritual pride that there were other people, there was a hierarchy of, of, of spiritual awareness or um, gifting, as you say. So in 2 Corinthians, given all that, in 2 Corinthians, we see some light. We see that Paul is reaching out to the Corinthian church, and he's reaching out in reconciliation based on the message he got from Titus. And in, in 2 Corinthians 7, verses 6 and 7, we see... Paul basically say, but God who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me as I was filled with joy. So you take from that, that things are on the upswing. Was, is everything good in, in the church in Corinth? No, unfortunately not. Everything's still not good. Paul still has an uphill battle, and we see that as we go through this letter in, in 2 Corinthians. There still seems to be division, and there are people in the Corinth church, Corinthian church that actually have some major problems with Paul. And, and, and again, when we go through it and we look and say, well, major problems with Paul, what does that mean? Well, you'll see in 2 Corinthians 10, and most of my references, believe it or not, are actually within the, within the book or, 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 this, or the first one, but... First Corinthians. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 10, it says, For some say Paul's letters are demanding and forceful, but in person he is weak and his speeches are worthless. This is Paul reciting things that he's heard about himself. Or, And then in 2 Corinthians 12 and 16, it says, Some of you admit I was, I was not a burden to you, but others still think I was sneaky and took advantage of you by trickery. Paul also gives us insight into the other aspects of the church. So there were some unhappy people, and this doesn't represent everybody, but it's a reflection of, a, uh, of maybe something that's happening that it still exists within the church. But he also gives us insight into the types of people that are actually teaching and the types of people that are actually listening. So people teaching and people listening. In um, 1 Corinthians 11, Verse 4, it says, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you, uh, the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. These people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers. In verse 13, these are people are false apostles. They are deceitful workers who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. So although Paul is very thankful and acknowledges that there's remorse in the church in Corinthians, there's still a challenge to unity and there's still a challenge with these false prophets as they teach. In chapter 2, verse 17, which we, we read first, Paul distinguishes himself from these corrupt people. That's where he starts. Paul calls them out based on their motivation for their own ministries and their own personal interests and their own self-interest, and he called, you know, effectively a for-profit ministry. Paul now, Paul also closes those remarks in chapter 17, or sorry, chapter 2, verse 17, where he clarifies to everybody, well, that he teaches 
with sincerity. He teaches with the authority of Christ. And he teaches in a real and present account, or he has a real and present accountability to God. So what does that mean? Some of your translations might say he teaches in the sight of God or God is watching. So he's, he teaches with sincerity or he lives his life with sincerity. He has the authority of Christ and he has um, uh, an accountability to God. But now, so we're starting to get into our passage, but now Paul anticipates critics and criticism from some, of the, some people in Corinth. And it's probably around he speaks with the authority of Christ. On what basis does Paul make that claim, someone might say? So the accusation Paul anticipates, he addresses in my mind in verse 1. And he says, are we beginning to praise ourselves again? So again, he's, he's answering his critics. Are we like others who need to bring you letters of recommendation? Or who asks, or who asks you to write such a letter on their behalf? So what is a letter of recommendation given, or in your Bible, it might say commendation, but it's important to understand it, I think, in the context of what we're talking about. And a letter of recommendation or commendation, or sometimes it's just a simple reference letter, it's pretty much what it sounds like. It's a letter that maybe is written by a third party. It is someone who spent time who can actually write something meaningful about you, who knows you a little bit, and it's the person that's writing it is credible. A glowing reference from a non-creditable person is probably pretty meaningless. So we've maybe some out there have had letters of commendation or reference that I have, for example, for a different employment situation. I might have meet somebody or have worked with someone in the past and they say, well, I've worked with David for 10 years and et cetera, et cetera. He's a good, you know, shows up to work every day. It's, it's wonderful. Um, they want somebody to vouch for you. Right? So the letter of commendation gives insight as to who the, what the character of this individual is. In a church setting, you know, it, it goes the same way. It's like they, they reference to personal character, um, maybe a comment on the, your, your living in faith, your expression of faith that you've shown. Maybe it's to provide insight on activities involved in Sunday school or, or involved in youth group or, or what, in the nursery for that matter. And it also gives us a feel for unity of, of a unity of believers. So a letter of commendation coming from someone's home church and coming to read of you, it, it, it acknowledges the headship of Christ. And that letter of commendation does that. It would seem, at least when I read all this stuff, it seems like there's an unhealthy uh, waiting to some of the letter of, of commendations that appeared in the Corinthian church. And the only reason I say that is um, these letter of recommendations were likely available to people like the super apostles, as Paul referenced them, the different apostles. And when you can picture a letter of recommendation or a commendation, there's signatures in the bottom. And so you can imagine a little bit of a challenge where someone has a letter and somebody else has a letter. And in fact, that letters are signed by different people and you start waiting who signed your letter. And hey, my letter was signed out of, out of uh, Jerusalem by this rabbi or, or whatever. And, and you can imagine that there might be somewhat, if there is, uh, as we mentioned earlier, spiritual pride, you can see that that could come into it, that my commendation letter is better than yours. That's relevant because as we go forward, you'll see. 
The other thing a letter of uh, commendation can do, just to be clear, is it, it opens access, right? So you've got this church in Corinth that's started and Paul's there and it's act, or Paul's been there, it's active, and it opens access. So with a letter of commendation, someone gets access to the church, it gets access to the people, gets access to their homes because it's a trusted letter. It gets potentially access to finances, but importantly too, it, get access, it gets access to a podium and gets access to the ability to teach. So in effect, you can see that these letters may in fact been abused and falsified to get access to the church for personal gain. And it re references now that all of a sudden, just because it's on a piece of paper, doesn't mean it, it, it doesn't mean it's, uh, it's true. And so you can imagine people that might be protecting their turf in Corinth who have established themselves maybe falsely and under, under uh, false pretenses as teachers and, and leaders, having these commendation letters from other things, protecting their turf against Paul, because these letters are coming back into the church in Corinth. And Paul is, is, is one of the guys that is getting hit with these letters saying, well, what does Paul know? And so the, the natural question, if, if you're in that state of mind, is where's Paul's commendation letter? Who signed his letter? Where is, like, who, why is he so looked up to? And that's the issue. That's where Paul's saying, look, let me address this for you. Let me address this for you. And this is where we get into our passage. So to be clear, Paul's not against commendation letters. Uh, that's not his, his beef. It's, he's against hard hearts and, and in dishonest or corrupt people. In Romans chapter um, 16, in verses 1 and 2, he actually commends Phoebe. Uh, and there's multiple examples, but just as this example, you see, you see Paul writing, Welcome her in the Lord as one who is worthy of honor among God's people. Help her in whatever she needs, for she has been helpful to many, and especially me. There's a simple accommodation letter, or uh, commendation letter. Paul had a letter of commendation, though. He did have a letter of commendation, and that's what he goes into. But it wasn't in the form that they were looking for. It wasn't on a piece of paper. So that's first. That's that's uh, that's kind of leads uh, my first point. Now, if we go to our second point, let's talk about what I would term a missing commendation letter. Everybody was saying, "Well, where's Paul's commendation letter?" And you'll see as we go through Second Corinthians, there are other references to commendation letters. There's two other references, um, but I'll, I I don't I don't deal with them here. So. Paul's critics are looking for a piece of paper, quite honestly, like they had. And they want to compare status. Because I think they were threatened by Paul, and specifically threatening on Paul, encroaching on their ministries, and with spiritual pride, and because of spiritual pride in the church. If I was Paul, and you think about it, and what you should be thinking is, what are some of the responses you could make? And one of the responses I would make is, you got to be kidding me. What are you talking about? You know, because when you look at Paul's ministry, they, the people in Corinth had heard the good news about Jesus from Paul, from the first. They came to believe in the Lord Jesus from Paul. And the church in Corinth was actually developed and, and, and helped to uh, launch with Paul. 
all, in addition to that, most of them already knew Paul. They knew him. They lived, he had lived among them. He had taught them. He had served them. And now they wanted a letter from him? That's ridiculous. Ridiculous. But Paul's letter, it, he did have a letter. It wasn't missing. See, Paul had something much better as we get into the text. He had something much better than something written on a piece of paper. What Paul had was something that was living. It was God-confirmed, and it was written by the Spirit. But they missed it. They didn't see it. But Paul's response was very gracious, wasn't it? It wasn't a response of, you got to be kidding me. His response was, the only letter of recommendation we need is yourselves. Your lives are a letter written in our heart that everyone can read it and recognize our good work among you. Paul basically comes right out and says, well, wait a second, the people in Corinth are my letter. Their new lives in Christ in response to what I've been preaching and my ministry is written in my heart. If critics need a letter, they don't need to look any further than what Paul has achieved through the Lord Jesus in Corinth. So the, the reality is the letter that Paul had was everywhere Paul went. It was in his heart. It wasn't sealed or hidden or confidential. It was a public letter. Anyone could read it, and it reflects all Paul's good works in the church. In effect, his letter was hiding in, in plain sight. It was them themselves. In verse 3, Paul goes on to say, sorry, in verse 3, Paul goes on to say, clearly you are a letter from Christ, showing the results of our ministry among you. This letter is written not with pen and ink, but with the spirit of the living God. It is carved not on tables of stone, but on human hearts. Paul's basically saying that the believers in Corinth are his letter from Christ, and that trumps all other letters. The signature at the bottom of Paul's commendation letter, figuratively speaking, is Jesus. And nobody trumps that. Paul planted seeds of God's words throughout Corinth, and, Paul based, and, and Jesus provided the, the, um, the harvest. Secondly, Paul starts comparing a tangible letter written with pen and ink with that of the Spirit on our hearts. Paul also refers to a writing tablet of stone versus a human heart. I always think of that when we look at how Paul compares these different things. I was thinking about his audience and thinking about the different people when we went back and looked at the challenges. So in every church, not every church, but in a lot of churches, there are those that love the Lord, I trust all of us, love the Lord Jesus and want to seek to honor and glorify him. And we see things differently. And our hearts are open to these things. And then there's an audience that is more skeptical. And maybe there are some unbelievers in this crowd today that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal savior. And Paul writes these comparisons to be able to capture both sides. And I think that, you know, when we look at the stones and the stone tablets, I think of legalism. I think of aspects that we can have in the church where there's freedom in the spirit. And Paul talks about that later. And I trust we'll, we'll get into that in another in another few weeks. There is freedom in the spirit, but under the law, there's a legal aspect of it. There's rules. And, and there's a big contrast with following the rules and, and being free in the spirit. 
See, in the Old Testament, in, Ezekiel, uh, in Exodus, God wrote something down, actually. When you think about you know, the, Paul's uh, reference to his letters from Christ, well, God did write something down. He wrote down those Ten Commandments, and he wrote them down on pillars of stone. But the reality is we know today that that, that that law doesn't make us righteous. We can't keep them. It's impossible for keep, to keep them. We, we can't make ourselves righteous in the eyes of God by following the law. We can't follow the law. So now what? We need a Savior. We need a Savior. God gave us the law written with his finger on a stone, but he now gives us grace through Jesus with his spirit written on our hearts. And I think that's Paul's point as he compares those things. Ezekiel looked forward to a future date and talks about what God was going to do with hearts. What was God going to do with hearts in Ezekiel? Well, he was looking forward to the time when Jesus would come. In Ezekiel 36, verses 25 to 27, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. While Paul talks about spirits right on heart, Ezekiel talks about replacing our heart with a tender, well, effectively, he says it's a stony, stubborn heart with a tender, responsive heart. And that also comes with the gift of the Holy Spirit. But what happens with the law? So in Ezekiel times, obviously, the, the law was pre prevalent and active. And he was, he was looking forward to the time when Jesus Christ would come and the law would no longer be relevant. But what happened to the law? Well, in Romans 8, 1 to 4, we see what happened to the law. And it says, so now there is no condemnation. We're not under the law. There's no condemnation. We can't be judged by the law for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. The law that was written on the tablets held us prisoner. God satisfied our obligations to the law through the death of the Lord Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for our inability to meet the requirements of the law. And through Jesus, we are now set free. We have the Holy Spirit, we have new lives and a new heart. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. There are two things I think we should consider today. I mean, there's a lot of things we can consider, but specifically what are, what's on my heart is when we think about 
our hearts. The issue that becomes, what's our condition of our heart? When we think of Ezekiel, we see the stony, uh, the hard and stony heart, and or stony and stubborn heart. And when we look forward, you know, with, with that of, the, um, of, of accepting Jesus as our Savior, we have a tender and responsive heart. There's a big difference. And I was thinking about tender and responsive. Is it possible to be tender without responsiveness? I think, yeah, it is. It is. It's, it's, it, we can be tender without responsiveness. Forget the stone and stubborn, but maybe today we have tender but not responsive. And again, it's just this thought as we go forward, it, it's, it allows us an opportunity to examine our hearts and examine where we are in our spiritual lives. Are we stony and stubborn or are we tender and responsive? In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and the new life has begun. The second thing I was thinking about when I, when I was going through this is, you know, Paul mentioned to the Corinthians that their letter was from Christ and it was written by the Spirit and their lives could be read by anyone. And, and Dave opened with that this morning in our Lord's Supper service. And it makes me think, what does my life say and how does it speak? When someone looks at me, do they see the writing of the Spirit on my heart, and can they tell that? Do they see a tender heart? Do they see a responsive heart to what God's asking me to do? Or is there a secret in my heart that I kind of keep suppressed? And is there a darkness that, that, that I, I hide? When I think of pen and ink, and you'll forgive me for this, but when I think of pen and ink, you know, and I think of, you know, we can all picture writing, and I don't know if anybody even takes cursory writing anymore, but, you know, my handwriting is atrocious, and it's hard, it's very hard to be legible. And so when you think of pen and ink, you can kind of think of that writing. And I was thinking, you know, what does the Spirit's handwriting look like? Well, I think on a stony and stubborn heart, it probably looks a lot different than a tender, um, a tender and responsive heart. And then I thought, well, you know, you have people look and say, well, my life's a mess, you know, or you see that the results of their lives aren't something that is good to read, so to speak. You know, and I was thinking, well, it's not the penmanship of the spirit that's the problem, right? It's not the penmanship of the spirit. The spirit has perfect penmanship in our hearts. And it's sometimes our ability to draw that out and to be responsive and tender to what the spirit's asking us to do. Finally, oops, sorry. That's where I want to be. So like, the last point is Paul's qualifications. Paul's qualifications. If you had to write a letter of commendation for Paul, not realizing you, you don't know him and you've never met him, could you write one? I think it would be pretty easy based on our texts here and our, our what we know of Paul. I think his letter would be easy to write. And we, you know, he even gives us his pedigree, his, you know, his history and, and his education later on. I think it's in chapter 11. But instead, Paul makes a clear, it clear to everyone that he doesn't have any qualifications in and of himself. 
he doesn't think he is sufficient in his own to be doing what he's doing. And we read in verse, uh, in verse four of our, of our um, passage, we are confident of all this because our great trust in, we have our great trust in God through Christ. It is not that we think we are qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification comes from God. He has enabled us to be ministers of his new covenant. This is a covenant not of written laws, but of the spirit. The old written covenant ends in death, but under the new covenant, the spirit gives us life. So in verse five, it says, it is not that we think we are qualified to do anything of our own. So Paul's confidence comes from his great trust in God. God, that trust in God was built, I guess, and grown over a period of time. And it's a reflection of Paul's experience in his life. It's amazing when you go through Paul's life and you, you look for different components and they, they come out and jump, jump at you. I was looking specifically, you know, at where does Paul, what's Paul's position and is he consistent in his position as he says this particular thing, he's not qualified. Well, in, first, in 2 Corinthians, and these are all found in, in the book, we've, and in, in fact, the first few chapters we've already looked through. First, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, in fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely on God who raises the dead. And in verse 10, he says, and he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. In verse 12, we have depended on God's grace, not our own human wisdom. Paul relied on God for his success as, as reflected in his ministry. He had experienced both his weakness and Paul's personal weakness, but he also was experienced God's greatness. And that allowed him to conclude, well, you know, my weakness, God's greatness, well, my qualification only comes from God. It's interesting to, you know, when I use the word qualification, other, uh, and you may have the, uh, the translations in front of you, other translations talk about competence, and they also talk about sufficiency when they talk about uh, qualification, sufficiency or competence. And Paul's recognizing that doesn't rest with him alone. It actually comes from God. On the other hand, Paul has tested God and lived through some pretty incredible things. And again, I invite you to go, I think it's chapter 11, where Paul talks about what he's gone through personally in his life. But at the same time, he's seen souls saved, he's seen churches built, and he's seen lives changed. Not because of what he did, he carried the message, God did the work. Paul knew that the sufficiency or his qualifications or his competency came from God alone. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9, Paul kind of gives us a little uh, insight into his weakness. There's a lot of people, when you go through 2 Corinthians, Paul's not, doesn't seem to be a very, it, it doesn't appear from some of the writings that Paul was extremely uh, aggressive in his stature, his presentation. Uh, and a lot of people concluded that Paul was weak. And uh, Paul wasn't weak in spiritually, but he may have perceived to be weak, but Paul confesses his weakness here. Where he, in 2 Corinthians 12, it's at verses 8 and 9, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And it was something that 
Paul was struggling with. And in fact, it was something that kept Paul humble. We don't know what it is, but uh, um, it was something that was challenging him. And it says, three different times I begged the Lord to take this issue away from me. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul knew that God doesn't need our strength. He doesn't need our education. He doesn't need necessarily our skill or our experience or anything else to be effective in our service to him. God wants, what does God want? Well, if we picture it based on Paul, Paul, uh, God wants our humility in weakness. He wants our willingness. And he wants, like Paul, to have our great trust in him. Paul understood these things and his position and his weakness and his dependence on, on, on Jesus when he did his work and on God. He says in John 15, 5, actually Jesus says in John 15, 5, which is the word, these are the words of Jesus that Paul likely well knew. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. So you can picture Lord Jesus giving you an analogy that there's this plant and he was the main vine. And these branches were offshoots from the vine. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, as Paul did. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's the point? Well, there are many things I can try to do, things that I can do in my own strength and my own ambitions and desires and try to be successful. But that's not God's way. God wants us to be dependent on him for our sufficiency, our competency, and our, our qualifications. We bring things to the table. We bring gifts. God gives them to us. But those gifts in, our, in, our, in, in and of themselves are not enough. Paul, on the other, other hand, allowed God to build his ministry through his weakness and his willingness and his great trust in God. So in conclusion, well, just one other thing, I guess. I just want to... So if you know Jesus as your personal Savior today, and you have the Holy Spirit within you, and God has given you a tender, and I trust responsive heart, is the Spirit prompting you to do something? Has there been something that you've been presented to you that maybe there's an opportunity for you to do? And then you say, okay, well, maybe there is. But, you know, and then the issue is, okay, well, how am I gonna respond? How am I gonna respond? Well, you can respond with, I'm too weak. And I don't have the confidence and I don't have the, uh, the qualifications to do it. Perfect. That's exactly what God's looking for. He can use you, right? Through weakness, he can use you. It's weakness and willingness that God is looking for in a pure heart that trusts him for the result. God enabled Paul, and he can enable you and me too. Now, what does enable mean? Well, Enable means it's one thing to go through in something and sense the Spirit's prompting and, and understand that the weakness and the willingness to do it, 
But sometimes, you, but you always want God enabling you to do it. So we are all gifted in different ways, and we can all do different things. But God may take a desire of my heart and say, well, David, I'm not going to enable you to do that. It's not your gift. It's not what you want. It's not what I want you to do. So the difference is our willingness and our weakness, but God enables us. So Paul used a tangible letter like this letter of commendation. He used it to bring out these spiritual truths. The letter is compared to the law and the Ten Commandments, but those, those things only com, uh, result in commit, confirming that we are sinners and we have no way out. On the other hand, Paul's letter, the letter he had in common, it was written by the Spirit. It was delivered by the Lord Jesus. And it was a letter that, that the Spirit writes on our hearts. If you don't know the Lord Jesus this morning, and you still have, Paul would call it maybe a stony uh, and stubborn heart because it doesn't see the Lord Jesus. But there's an opportunity for you to be receptive to the Spirit this morning, whereby the Spirit can come into your heart and make it tender and make it responsive. Maybe some of the words I'm saying here this morning make no sense to you. But I trust the Spirit can open your understanding to these things. And how's that done? Well, it's done through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's accepting the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and seeking him and to please him in your life and follow him. If you know Jesus this morning, what does your letter look like? Are you responsive to what the Spirit is asking you to do? And is your letter visible to others? So finally, you know, Paul set an example of weakness and willingness and he set this example of trusting God through his ministry and through Christ. The combination of what Paul had allowed the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to shine through in everything Paul did. Paul, Paul had a confidence to push forward because, because of this. God had enabled Paul to minister to others the Lord Jesus Christ. So the point is, God can use you. You may not be qualified. You may not be competent. You may not be sufficient. But he is. And that's where we look at when we go through and look at our ministries for him. Maybe we just uh, close with that and just close in prayer. Our blessed, loving God and Father, we thank you that you are sufficient. We thank you that we don't need to carry the burden of success in your kingdom. We just need to have a willing heart. Father, we need to have, be obedient. We need to be responsive. We need to be tender. Father, I thank you so much for the Lord Jesus. I thank you that the Lord Jesus and the power of the Lord Jesus made, is made perfect through our weakness, but our willingness and our service. And I thank you for it. I thank you for the direction uh, that Paul has given us. I thank you for Paul's life that is a perfect example of him walking the walk. And uh, Father, I thank you for that. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that indwells each one of us that knows you as, uh, knows your Son as our Savior. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit's prompting. I thank you that he does write on our hearts. And I pray, Father, that we would be responsive to it. Thank you again for this time. And I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.